Your politics. Hello and welcome to another episode of Impressions of America Politics. I'm Simon and with me as always is Toby. Hi Toby. Hi Simon. Today we are joined all the way from America by special guest Simon Bracey Lane. Hi Simon. Hi Simon. Hi Toby. So hopefully this won't get too confusing with two, two Simons uh, on the on the one episode but we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, Simon, the other Simon, is an acquaintance of Toby's from university and he previously worked on the Bernie Sanders campaign uh, for 2016. Uh, Simon, is there any, anything else you'd like to add about yourself before we get on to the main topic of the show? Um, just that uh, you can include a, an ill-fated t- uh, work on a, a, a New Jersey gubernatorial race um, in that list. Um, my wait, wait. Who, who did you... Who did you campaign for in New Jersey? Was it against Christie? Uh, no, no, it was a, it was a Democratic primary um, again. It was for a guy named John Wisniewski, who was just uh-uh. awful. Um, but, <laughs> but he had this famous gig of prosecuting the the, the Washington Bridge case, where in very New Jersey fashion, Chris Christie closed down... Uh, some traffic on the George Washington Bridge to mm-hmm. get at a a mayor that wasn't towing the line, and so it was a nice piece of big machinery politics in New Jersey. Oh, so he he prosecuted. Was wasn't Christie supposed to? I mean, didn't think Christie face charges for the bridge case, or it certainly didn't impact him in New Jersey and, and it didn't impact him making a, a presidential bid. So I'm, I'm not sure about the result, to be honest. It was mm-hmm. just often and very loudly touted that this was the individual who prosecuted the case. Ah, and you, that wasn't able to get him any cachet with the voters in New Jersey. Ah, see, this is a completely different story, and this is a rather tangential discussion on uh, the state <laughs> market. But this guy had been in the state legislature for a very long time, but unfortunately, um, he was running against an individual whose previous employer had been Goldman Sachs. And ah. so uh, Phil Murphy, as the governor is at now, was able to marshal about $20 million to put into his primary campaign. And it's also worth noting that um, the before he announced his candidacy, he donated out of the goodness of his heart a million dollars each to the campaign re-election funds of um, the New Jersey Democratic County county chairs or whatever. And so when he did come to announce, they, of course, lined up after him. Now, it's worth noting that he has actually become a very good governor. Um, and I hear some really fantastic things about the work he's doing, and he's really standing up to the Democratic Party in New Jersey, which is not the nicest of beasts. Um, mm. But he did. It was a, a demonstration of the limits of American democracy at primary. Well, I mean, I, I think by the sense of it, Toby, you could probably interview Simon just on uh, the politics of uh, New Jersey 
alone. But oh, yeah, uh, New, New Jersey machine politics. I'm, I'm definitely up for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we we might actually circle back to some New Jersey politics later on in the episode. Um, but the the main topic uh, of conversation today will be on the nominated uh, the candidates for nomination for the Democratic Party for the 2020 presidential election, and in particular focus will be Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and Cory Booker. Um, Simon, I'll start with you first. How do you rate the prospects for the Democratic nomination? Is this a strong field? Do you see any future precedents on there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are, in some of the candidates, there's a real sort of sense of history. I mean, we've got a former, uh, a lanky or talented speaker, former congressman, failed Senate race running. Um, and there's a whole lot of Abraham Lincoln about Beto. Um, but I think <laughs> I think we're looking at a, a, a cast at the moment that is really going to struggle um, to break break ahead of the pack because there is such quality there. Um, and I, I think this is going to be a very interesting primary. Um, these sorts of primaries often conjure a great number of protest candidates um, who are on a platform for a specific purpose, touting a specific line. They're there for, you know, to if the president, if the, the candidate in the election ascends to the presidency, they're hopeful of gaining a position. Um, and I just don't see that in this race. Even the ones that we don't hear very much about, like Delaney, um, are very strong candidates. Um, and so I think we do have a future president in this uh, in this primary. And Toby, your, your thoughts on the overall strength of the field? Yeah, I, I would say that it's perhaps a little too early to, to sort of be pointing at how it's going to pan out. I think that you have a lot of candidates who certainly speak to the issues um, that the Democrats and Democratic voters are facing. I mean, especially you have candidates, say, on the left, like Sanders and um, Liz Warren, who are focusing on sort of like working class issues. And then you have other candidates like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, who maybe capture the sort of resistance element and the, the way the party is going demographically. So, I mean, you certainly have very good candidates who can energize uh, Democratic political base. But I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out because there's so many candidates. And I think some of them are going to fall to the wayside. But even right now, I, I still don't know who will. I think Cory Booker, for example, can capture a lot of the sort of Obama, um, Obama demographic and, and the sort of Obama style and, and message of hope. But we don't know. I mean, he, his vote might be a little soft or, or it might be a little vague because he doesn't he doesn't do it maybe better than other people do it, for example. So, yeah, right now I'm, I'm unsure how the, the primary is going to pan out. Um, yeah, I'd say that's probably about right. I think I would, I would agree with you both. I, th- I think there is strength in the field. I think how the field plays out over the next... Uh, short to medium term is we will kind of find out if it's it's strong in the sense are there a lot of John Kerry's but no Obama's you know that sort of strength <laughs> um, so 
uh, yeah, I, I would agree that we have a lot of nominees right now who have potential uh, and who certainly seem to grasp the post-Obama era in a way that um, we weren't looking at four years ago, which was very much still off the Obama era. I think now we have moved towards a more um, um, definitive look at what the Democratic Party is going to be potential-wise for the next sort of decade. Um, I think we're looking at a more woke era, but whether or not that can present a candidate which is not only capable of winning a, a democratic race, but winning a presidential race, I guess it's a very easy line to say, but only time will tell in that regard. Um, one of the candidates that has been kind of at the forefront of um, the democratic uh, nominations for 2020 is Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Toby, can you just give your thoughts on where you think Elizabeth Warren is right now with regards to the race and how you feel she is as a candidate? I would say that Elizabeth Warren right now, I mean, she's not polling that well so far, but she is saying things that I think will get a lot of like the sort of policy heads on her side in the party. Tactically, she seems to have flanked Bernie Sanders by hiring some of Bernie Sanders' former um, former strategists and communications people. I also think that I think there's a there was a, a piece by I think it's Peter Beiner that said that maybe the reason that Elizabeth Warren isn't catching the fire that she you might think she would is because she is a woman, and I think maybe because the left certainly the Bernie left has been characterized by being sort of particularly male. I think a lot of people who identify as socialists are male in the United States. There is a potential for her to not, to lose votes, I think, to the Bernie Sanders people. And, and I, but I think that she manages to marry the two sides of the party very well. I think, I mean, in many ways, it might be the new, she might be the new vital center for the Democratic Party. You know, she might be bringing the wonks and then the sort of the people on the left together. But in, in other ways, that on both sides, you could see that, you know, I mean, her policies with regards to, you know, the, um, the tech sector might not be um, understood or appreciated by the sort of more wonky centrist element. And then her, her interest in saying things like, oh, I, you know, I love capitalism, I'm a capitalist, and her sort of wonky approach might not be appreciated by people on the left. And I think there's a there's a really interesting piece by Amber A. Lee, who, um, who appears on the podcast Trapo Trap House. And, and it says that, it, and it's titled, it's Bernie Bitches, and it's in the Jacob, Jacobin. And I think in many ways, because she is quite, I think, pared down and quite um, sort of nerdy, she might not capture that Bernie energy while also, you know, not having the same policy ideas or the same sort of donor interests as, you know, politicians on the some slightly right of her. So, yeah, it, it is difficult. But, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how, how it pans out for her generally, yeah. 
And Simon, what are your thoughts on Elizabeth Warren in general and whether or not there's anything specific either in presentation or in policy that you think is particularly good or bad or outstanding with her? Yeah, so I, I very much agree with Toby in that the return of serious, um, unapologetically nerdy um, policy statements are a very, very good thing. I think the Democratic Party, I think there was a great attraction within the Democratic Party when this whole process started to be and make these statements like, well, this is not who we are. This is, we can be better, you know, and make these sweeping statements of unity. And that's where I thought a great deal of people started. But Warren evolved quite quickly into um, into this this idea of being an edifice of policy knowledge, bringing new ideas to the table. Because I think when, it, you know, outside of Trump, and I know Trump is the Republican Party, but outside of Trump, what the Republicans are faced, the real crisis the Republicans are facing at the moment is they don't really have any answers to any of the questions that the American society is posing. They spend a great deal of their time attacking democratic ideas, but they don't, they're not presenting new ones. And I think this element of a, a, a Democratic candidate coming up with and being uh, known for new ideas is a very, very powerful thing. My big thing with Warren, and I think this will ultimately um, ultimately see her fail, is money. I think this is a race that you can't ignore the power that money is going to play because because there is this great fashion at the moment and quite right fashion of having campaigns almost entirely supported by individual donations. Um, it, Warren has said that she won't accept money from a PAC, I understand. Um, but this, this sort of desire to... Um, to take small donations, I, I suspect will be her undoing because she hasn't spent years generating these small donation muscle that other candidates have. And I think that will ultimately prove challenging for her. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right with regards to the Republicans. I mean, you could tell it just they just had CPAC now and they were talking about health policy. And it was just, you know, like niggly things about um, improving the sort of health markets and things like that. It was just all, all it really was was sort of slight adaptations of, of Obamacare because really like the wonks in the Republican Party in many ways aren't that completely uh, against Obamacare. In fact, the, the, the policies in, within Obamacare were originally um, Republican policies. So yeah, they, they really don't really have so many answers to many issues in society today and yeah and with regards to funding i think she's in a, in a quite a difficult position because she doesn't take pack money and she has been very much virulently against the kinds of people you know like you know you like a, a candidate who lost to someone who was backed by golden sachs the kind of people who could you know bring in pack money she's been very really against them and then in terms of a small donor base and we could see it with the way like Beta O'Rourke has generated interest and has generated small donor contributions it, very recently. You know, you could see that you kind of need star power. You kind of need like a, a PR presence 
which she seems to lack in many ways so far. So, uh, Toby, do you think it's her lack of personality as far as, you know, being a star the way Obama was that is ultimately going to be the, the kind of biggest hindrance to her? Could she overcome her kind of lack of interest in taking pack money if she was, you know, a, a brighter, bigger star? Or could she, yeah. could she get away with being the kind of more bookworm type of politician if she was more open to taking more traditional funding? Yeah, um, yeah, she could probably get away with being the more bookworm politician if she was more open to traditional funding. But in many ways, she sort of burnt those bridges. So it, it is, and you can see with, with people like Bernie and um, as like Amber Avery says, you know, she's quite, she is sort of uh, more of a sort of intellectual. She comes from a background as a consumer protection lawyer, a professor. You know, you could see like in a parliamentary system, she could definitely rise. But in American politics, without, you know, and, and, and definitely in the era of, I mean, we, we thought that uh, The Rock and Oprah were going to run this sequence. Uh, <laughs> but in the era of reality TV um, politicians, it is going to be quite difficult for her to generate that kind of interest. But we will see. And I think it will be quite interesting, especially um, in the, the major cities, because I can see, you know, Bernie losing again to a Kamala Harris or a Cory Booker, uh, definitely in California, in New York, in New Jersey. And, but, but Bernie is going to definitely hold his own with young people. Is Elizabeth Warren in a position to generate that kind of interest for her ideas in those metropolitan areas? I mean, it's a, it's a question that's still up in the air, but I mean, we don't know yet. Um. Simon, we'll be looking at Trump kind of later on with Elizabeth Warren. You know, if, she, if Elizabeth Warren were to, to win the nomination, she'd obviously be up against Trump. But just looking at, at the field itself in the Democratic Party, how do you think Elizabeth Warren will be able to, or maybe she won't be able to, kind of manoeuvre herself away from Bernie Sanders and be a unique enough voice that she can still win over the people who might who might naturally go towards Sanders and kind of show herself as as the politician is is that something she's able to do or is that something as you think will be part of her downfall so one of the one of my suspicions about um her very early early on in the the race taking um the policy taking the policy ground we can call it um was to separate herself was to create a separate identity um i suspect Bernie's platform will be quite similar to that of 2016, and he will have a right to that platform. Uh, but I think, back to, Toby mentioned the breaking up of the tech giants, which I believe is an admirable position to take. Um, I am of the opinion that Facebook, Amazon, and Google, you know, are these, pose a, pose a threat to our democracy in some instances, and are and need to be addressed. Uh, how they are to be addressed, I, I'm not in a position to say, but I definitely th think that should be in the dialogue. And Elizabeth Warren saying she's going to break up the tech giants is a very dangerous path for her because 
I don't think she has really any idea how to break up these tech jobs. I haven't certainly haven't seen anything that's that is a follow up to this idea of breaking up the tech companies. And I've I've what I have read, however, is several pieces saying, well, she's just presented this this sort of strong idea, this very complicated idea without much backing. And it and if you take the ground, if you take the policy ground, firstly, you have to hold it with a continuous stream of useful policy ideas. And you also have to remain a credible policy source. And I worry that if she hammers on things like breaking up the text giants without following up with a substantial and clear way how to break up the tech giants, she 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 just becomes someone on a soapbox with a with a megaphone just shouting ideas into the abyss because because people stop taking t- taking uh, paying attention because you know not all of them are as substantial as they need to be because it's not backed up with a character and a charisma that the other characters benefit from and almost as an antithesis to her candidacy is someone like Beto who relies very strongly on this image that he has created, that he is the grand healer and and and, and this this sort of cult of Beto that he's created. Um, and I think, but he lacks, I would argue, uh, significant and substantial policy ideas. He's come up with some about dreamers, which is a um, which is a good idea. But again, there's that there's there's the there's the personality cult and then the lack of policy aware policy structure and then Elizabeth Warren massive policy structure and very little sort of personal culture is able to create. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on some of those points because she can get into the weeds with the Consumer fin- Financial Protection Bureau, which she set up. And in many ways, I, she, I mean, with regards to tech, she says, you know, they can't run the platform and then be a competitor. You know, I mean, it gives them sort of an unheard of advantage. And she is pulling into like American traditions with regards to antitrust policy and being able to sort of um, being having competition be sort of the the engine of growth and which is many ways is a is a capitalist idea. Like if you have a market and there's not and there aren't too many competitors, then you have a monopoly in that market. It's bad for consumers, but also it's bad for political influence. And that is an, an, an idea that you can get to and you can separate yourself from a Bernie Sanders who views much more, you know, as of the traditional socialist. But yeah, I think, like you say, with the tech the tech policy, and, and it has been sort of quite superficial so far, you could see the tech companies who do have like a huge amount of lobbying power and will have influence in some of the other candidates putting policy ideas or putting releases or getting journalists to talk about their side of the story in the New York Times and Washington Post. And you can see it really drowning out Elizabeth Warren and maybe she might lose credibility in that area, especially because she leans so heavily on her policy expertise. Yeah, so I think we've quite bleak on Elizabeth Warren so far. I mean, it's someone I'm definitely interested um, in her candidacy and, and hope that it goes, you know, quite well. But it it is quite it is going to be quite difficult in many ways. You know. So that's Elizabeth Warren, kind of as she stands now. Just 
looking ahead, if she were to run against Trump in 2020, kind of the, the, the one thing at the moment that he's been bashing her over the head with is the Pocahontas jab and uh, the Native American um, ancestry. How do you think? How do you think uh, an Elizabeth uh, Simon? I'll come to you first. How do you think an Elizabeth Warren <laughs> Donald Trump race would go? What, what do you think that looks like? So I think it's not to be underestimated Warren's strength and certainly power on the platform. And I think in a debate situation, it would be very difficult to Trump for Trump to pull the kind of bullshit he did uh, during Hillary's. Um, Hillary's debates, you know, uh, sort of following around. I think Warren would address that, and I, and so on on the debate stage, I think it would be a very interesting, and um, I think she would be successful on the debate stage. But I worry uh, he has her number, and the Pocahontas, the um, being a very good example of that, and I, I worry that he would relish a chance to to face Warren um does does he see would he see Warren as basically a second round with Clinton is is that kind yeah. of how how he would kind of do you think he would visualize it and think right I've beaten Clinton once I basically just have to beat her sister now I, th- I think there would be elements of that I mean Hillary Clinton I, I I would fear that Warren would do what Clinton did in the sense that she brought a policy brief to a knife fight. Um, <laughs> um, I think there would be, you know, I, I would, I would, I can imagine, and that Warren's team would learn f- from the mistakes that um, that the Clinton campaign made with running against Trump. And I, I think it would be a different story, but there would be elements, certainly in his mind, of the similarities. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Warren is in a really good position this, in the general to say, you know, like I am the, the sort of vector for the resistance. You know, I'm a woman. Um, the, the resistance has been generally led by women, you know, things like the Women's March. She can bring the party together very easily in the general against Trump, and she will have both, you know, the left, the center. She'll, and she might even have people like Bloomberg and, you know, the sort of the capitalists who would be Republicans 30 years ago with her in the general. But I think she did, it would, I mean, the Pocahontas thing was a self own. I mean, she lost that um, sort of um, that media. Sort of window really badly. I I would say that um, it also appealed to her the fact that she is quite a you know like a, a little bit of a nerd in, in the sense that she was like, well, I actually am a, you know Native American by naught point naught naught you know one percent, and like Trump was able to go like, <laughs> see you know like it, yeah it was it was a self own in many ways, but I but it was a story that happened, you know, during the the sort of midterms. I don't know how much uh, capital he can gain from that. But, hmm, yeah, I think Trump is going to have a very difficult time with Warren because she will have the whole of the Democratic base with her. I think if she can get through the primary, she has a really good chance of beating Trump, in my, my opinion. 
Um, Simon, just quickly, I know this kind of stands out as, again, three men talking about women, but is is the thought that part of what part of what made 2016 a, a, a difficult election for Clinton was that she had a lot of baggage going into the election, which she wasn't able to necessarily get the kind of momentum that maybe someone going against Trump and his issues would otherwise have. Now, some of these candidates will have their own baggage, but the majority of the candidates at the moment are men. Is there still an issue around Americans as a nation voting for a female president, do you think? Is it time and just step out? Oh, sorry, sorry. Ah. No, yeah. that's fine. Do you want me to repeat the question, Simon? Anything <laughs> no. practice for you, Simon? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I... I did hear the question. Thank you. Uh, no, I was going to say that they face an impossible, in many cases, a very, a very difficult position that they occupy. Because if they are uh, too, too, too straightforward to the point, and if they are too, you know, uh, serious and uh, taking a topic by the, by the grabbing the bull by the horns, they're considered a cold bitch. But if they are, you know, emotional and engage with people and they are considered the, the classic sentimental woman um, who, so they face in many cases um, um, a really impossible position. And I think some of the women we have running that are running are really in a position to break, to shatter that stereotype. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that they don't come into this race with the baggage that Clinton had uh, and the Clinton name. And, the, you know, the Clintons have been despised by the Republican Party since the 90s. And Clinton's candidacy brought forth all of that venom and hatred. And a great deal of it was um, sexist and horrific. Uh, but there were elements that were people just can't trust her. And I don't think that that's something that um, certainly Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren will face. Yeah, um, she doesn't really have that that history that that Clinton has. And I, I would say, like in the binar piece, there's the idea that you know if you have a, if people see an ambitious man and an ambitious woman, there's a tendency for some men and some women to sort of appreciate ambition as a quality in men. But when they see in women, they, they feel that, you know, she's a cold bitch, she's too direct. You know, there's kinds of things that will come out when you see um, women with these attributes. And yeah. Clinton suffered from that, I think, a lot. And she ha- and has suffered from that in her, in her political career. But yes, this is, I mean, I think, you know, in many ways, this could be a turning point where we, in many ways, sort of eviscerate that characterization and those assumptions I, I would agree with you, with you both I think one thing that was interesting when Obama ran is that he had to walk the line between he had to be kind of personable and, in, and could engage but if he ever you know showed any any kind of too, too much emotion he was the angry black man shouting at you and it, it got to the point where when he was on TV when he was doing uh, coverage up to elections he had to make his point not by he couldn't directly point at any politician because that would be seen as sort of physical engagement and as being aggressive. So he had to employ a 
one he'd put his uh, pointer finger into his thumb and make his points accordingly so that when he spoke he could sort of he could engage with the person he was speaking to but not outwardly sort of pointing and shaking his finger at people and that was kind of a small physical gesture which he had to take on board that you know Trump wouldn't worry about that I mean tr- Trump could you know do anything he wants and you know his base would be fine with it and probably the media would let him get away with it and I, th- I think to some extent you're seeing that with female politicians even those who might not carry the baggage of Clinton who as you say they can't be too cold or they get called a bitch or they can't be too emotional or they get called high strung so I, I do think there's a sort of extra hurdle that female politicians at the moment have to get over that male politicians simply don't and it will be interesting to see whether or not that continues into the 2020 election and possibly 2024 depending on which uh, which candidate and which presidents we have then um before we move on to any other candidates is there anything else anyone would like to add on elizabeth warren with regards to either the democratic nomination or looking ahead to uh, any uh, campaign against Trump. I think it will be interesting to see the well Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and, and will it stay completely cordial? Do these things always stay completely cordial when you have politicians who are looking for the same base or and have to differentiate themselves in in a quite slight way? Because I mean, in many ways, like. For like the, I would say like graduate degree having, um, you know, culturally rich but <laughs> financially poor people, you know, the young like graduate people like that, they and who see themselves as, as socialists, they associate with Bernie Sanders, and even young people more broadly on a sort of more emotional level and associate with a socialism that is quite un-American. In, in in actuality, so is she going to be able to st- steer them away from Bernie Sanders, or maybe am, am I listening to you know media that is quite narrow and and I don't really know how young people are going to feel about these differences? Um, Simon, just to to kind of follow up on on what we've been saying previously about uh, Elizabeth Warren in sport, they talk about. It's not always necessarily the best team who wins, but it talks about matchups, and certain teams will have a better matchup against other teams than they will against certain other teams. In that kind of regard, who do you think Elizabeth Warren would want, if there was only two candidates left for the Democratic race, who do you think Elizabeth Warren would want to be running against, and who do you think she'd want to avoid? Uh, Beto and Biden. So she would want to be, sorry, running against Beto or she want to avoid Beto? Oh, sorry. Um, I think she'd want she'd want to run against Beto. And she'd, she'd be very, I think she, she would uh, not be very pleased to be running against Kamala Harris. Oh, and, uh, and Toby, your, your thoughts on potential head-to-heads? I think in a complete head-to-head, I mean, I have talked about like the difference between her and Bernie, but I think she'd want to run against Bernie in a complete head-to-head if it was a final two because she would have the whole of the sort of more entrenched democratic establishment with her. So I think she, it would be quite 
good. And I think she would not want to run against Kamala Harris because in many ways that some of the variables, she, um, she loses ground there. And um, she's, she's not as clearly as, as charismatic as, as Kamala is. Well, that very nicely takes us on to the next candidate to talk about then, which is Kamala Harris, a senator from California. In many ways, she could kind of be seen as the natural heir to uh, post-Obama Democrats. Do you think, first of all, Toby, what's your thoughts overall on Kamala Harris? How strong a candidate is she? And do you think she is someone who will be kind of there at the end? Or is she a classic case of she's an interesting candidate, but she's not going to get much traction? Um, I think Kamala, I mean, Kamala is very attractive. I think she, <laughs> I think she's, she's going to be um, there for a while. I think she has, she has a pretty good voting record. I mean, some people who are the detractors of her, if you look at her voting record, it's one of the most liberal in the um, in Congress, and she has, you know, she has been one of the senators who has tr- who've tried to vote against Trump on almost everything. She she's done very good, like um, TV and radio spots. She seems to have been able to manage the idea that, you know, she has a pretty, I mean, she has a pretty bad prosecutorial record when it comes to prosecuting people um, who had been truants, um, not only potential truants, but also their parents. I mean, that is quite a regressive idea. I wonder, like, I'm really interested in in, in whether, like, people like Sanders or even Warren are going to run negative ads because, you know, I mean, Sanders has an almost, like, holier-than-thou um, idea of himself, and uh, is someone going to run negative ads against Kamala Harris's prosecutor record? I think Biden would. You know, I mean, he 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 seems like someone who is a street fighter, definitely. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, are, are people really going to go after her prosecutor record, or is she going to sail through as someone who's managed to, um, you know, be liberal on on policy generally? and someone who speaks to the demographic needs of the Democratic Party. I don't know. It, it really depends on whether people are, are going to get into the mud with her. And Simon, your overall thoughts on Kamala Harris as a potential candidate for 2020? So I think we're looking... I think we're looking at a very significant candidate in this race. I... I, I had not paid a great deal of attention to her before uh before you know discuss discussing joining you on this podcast um but after reading uh, you know i was aware of her to some extent but doing some reading on her i am um becoming more and more convinced that she that she will do very very well in this election and this this doesn't even this this is just about her ideas and uh, how she how she presents herself on the campaign trail, how she talks, uh, the ideas that she's putting forward. This doesn't even involve the fact that, you know, she raised a million dollars on her first twenty four hours after announcing, and that 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 machine that she's created will keep on generating money. I don't. I, I'm going to say this a couple of times during this program, but I think money may make or break some of these candidacies, and. Kamala Harris hired Beto's online fundraising um, chief. Uh, you know, there's that, there's that 
pedigree when it comes to her ability to raise money from small donations, which is nothing to shrink at. I think the changing um, the changing primary map has benefited her more than anyone. Uh, Bernie Bernie's relationship to California is interesting and may cause her some problems, but I ultimately think that she will succeed in her home state. Uh, Texas, you know, is now worth is 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 very early on in the early on in the race and people are making big inroads there uh, again Beto probably will do very well in his home state he has the infrastructure already there but Kamala Harris is making really big waves she's having significant people attend her attend her rallies and these are the kind of things that begin to tip states towards a candidate um her, she's recently been banging the drum on educators and I think that is a very 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 profitable line of inquiry uh, in terms of electoral strength and I think that her ability to identify these trends and these topics that don't isolate herself from other candidates but but enrich her platform is something that we're going to see throughout this primary and I think is going to make her very successful. Toby, I suppose one of the questions will come up with Kamala Harris is maybe somewhat redundant. The fact we're now living in 2019 and we should be kind of beyond this, but she's not just a woman. She's a woman of color. Do you think that is an, again, going to be an issue for mainstream America or does that offer after she won't have the baggage of Clinton and we're already kind of post Obama as far as, you know, voting a black person president. Do you think there's any issue there as far as a woman of, uh, of being non-white, uh, being elected to the highest office in the land? I think there's a potential for her to get into, I mean, the, the, the historical nature of her candidacy. And if she does, maybe people who, you know, might vote for Joe Biden in, in, in the general. I think Joe Biden would be a quite a dangerous candidate. Um for her in, say, states like Michigan and Pennsylvania, where people, I think, are very much interested in um, policies with regards to industries in those states and policies with regards to working families, but might be a little bit, I think, um, sort of anxious or might be a little bit turned off by a candidate that pulls into the historical legacy or the fact that she represents a particular um, sort of emerging demographics. And like in I think in that election or in a in a general election, she would have a tougher time actually than I think Joe Biden would in those states. And and I think Elizabeth Warren would. I think Elizabeth Warren would be able to, I think, focus much more on the substance of her policies obviously a resistance but i don't think she would in many ways represent this you know, specter of a changing demographic in the way that kamara harris which which is i mean which is obviously sad and i i, I do agree with what simon said about her, her messaging and her policy she's, she's she's been able to bring up good policies that are quite i think that haven't really isolated or alienated any of the other candidates and she, I mean, she seems to be one of the best politicians 
And I think she she handled the Ilhan Omar scare with um, you know the, the issue about anti-Semitism uh, in Congress quite well, and she's been handling most uh, TV spots quite well, and she has the infrastructure. So she's she's very much a, a dangerous candidate. I, I would say she's one of the maybe the top top two or three candidates that we have so far, definitely. Uh, Simon, when Sanders ran kind of two of the areas that seemed he got the most traction with was younger voters and anti-establishment voters and that certainly on the anti-establishment side that's why so many people myself included thought he might stand a better Trump chance against Trump than Clinton would who was very much a, a mainstream politician where do you think Kamala Harris sort of ranks as far as the the demo, demographics of the Democratic nominees and the people who'll be voting in that. Do you think she's going to be strong with people who are maybe got far left ideas and who are young but misses out on other areas? Or do you think there's certain areas where she's going to either succeed or fall in a significant way? This is the thing that makes her so powerful in my eyes, is that I, is that I can't see her failing in any of these demographics in the way that Clinton did. I mean, I'm not saying that she is going to win, blow Bernie out of the water when it comes to uh, the young vote or the, 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 the more left-leaning vote. But I don't think that there is much antipathy and uh, aggression on the, of that part of the political spectrum towards her. Now, when her name was began, began to be floated around, um, you know, some of the narratives that I saw emerging on, say, uh, far left Facebook groups, for example, um, was that she was seeking to paint herself as a progressive and she wasn't really a progressive. But I think, I don't think that she's tried to do that as the election uh, season has progressed, as this invisible primary has progressed. I don't think she has tried to define herself as a progressive despite herself not being quite as progressive as many want um but i don't i, I can't see her isolating anyone i i don't i don't think that she's gonna uh, turn a portion of the electorate against her they might not be avidly in favor of her every single portion of the democratic party but they won't be you know, Joe Biden has already attracted the attracted some unpleasant headlines and will create, you know, will isolate some parts of the Democratic Party. Um, you know, uh, the 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 candidate for the mayor for the mayor of New York, I forget her name, Cynthia Nixon, um, wrote that op-ed in the Washington Post about Biden calling Mike Pence a good guy. You know, I think that that element of old school politics that Joe Biden represents will create some unpleasantness towards him in some parts of the Democratic Party. And I don't see Kamala Harris doing that. Yeah, I, I think that I, I really want to see if they're going to run negative ads because, I mean, like you say, like on far left Facebook groups in sort of left Twitter, you know, on you know, in magazines like say the Jacobin or or the Buffalo things like that, quite very niche parts of you know the, the, this sort of political ecosystem, people very much 
know that her record isn't as progressive as some other people. But I, I think in in general, you know, with the general Democrat, Democratic electorate, I don't see them being able to communicate that message further. So I, I would say that Kamala Harris is, is, is good right now, but it depends on whether she runs against a politician who is a, who is a street fighter. And they, they almost seem like a sort of a gathering of saints, you know, they don't really, yeah. It, it would be I, interesting. Yeah, I'm, so one of the things I'm really interested to see is see how the DNC behaves. I think Tom Perez is, is facing a very difficult period of his life um, in towing that line of neutrality. Um, and yeah, whether whether things get gritty, I don't think that they will. Um, because I just, I can't see then I can't, the, 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 if you draw up the pros and cons and weigh it up, you know, creating attack ads, you isolate a candidate who threatens you's weaknesses, mm -hmm. but they also certainly after a primary that was quite bitter and did have and was very divisive amongst the Democratic Party. I think that there is going to be a nervousness, certainly when the Democratic electorate, if we see these kind of divisions emerging, because many people, true or untrue, uh, blame uh, the divisions for Donald Trump. And so I think there is going to be an aversion to, um, to causing trouble. And um, and 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 being and running attack ads, I think there's going to be a ver an aversion to that, and I think it's going to take one person to start doing it. Uh, the reaction to that to that, mm -hmm. but, and and that will determine how things happen. But there have already been sort of you know not attack ads, but sneaky political moves taking place. Uh, Kamala Harris, uh, which I think is ingenious, one of my greatest loves in this world is um, sneaky American political tactics. And so Kamala Harris ran, uh, ran some Google ads that very much looked like Beto's campaign sign-up form. So it was, so she, 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 she ran some Google ads. So you Google Beto for America. And the first link is something that copies Beto's language very clearly. The website that it takes you to is um, is Beto's website, but the website is run by Kamala Harris from America, <laughs> and so the signups that she'll generate from that uh, from that website will mean that she has a very clear idea of who is supporting Beto, and she'll be able to target her messaging to that population, and I think that's a very clear indication of the threat that she sees in Beto and beginning to identify how she can unpick that support. And I think that's probably the kind of thing we're going to see. Um, how can I how can I unpick his support? What positive things can I send this uh, this individual supporters to make them come to me instead of what negative things can I say about that guy to make them come to me? So I think that's going to be the key difference. Mm. Yeah. Toby. We kind of talked quite positively about Kamala Harris so far. Do you think there's any 
potential negatives as far as our past is concerned in the way that you know Clinton was just kind of waiting to get beaten over the head by you know 20 years of being a Clinton and we talked a little bit about Elizabeth Warren with uh, with her Pocahontas is there anything you feel that there's kind of waiting around the corner that we know so far or is it is she fairly clean in that regard? I mean, she's fairly clean. She had a gaffe on The Breakfast Club recently where she said that she she listened to Snoop Dogg while she was smoking weed. But when she was actually in college, I don't think Snoop Dogg was that big. But she, she also has the, the prosecutorial record. And, and I think in the period, you know, it, it seems like, you know, 100 years ago, but in the, the pre- Obama era, where Democrats were trying to triangulate, you know, having a strong prosecutorial record that seemed to punish, you know, actual, you know, potential Democratic voters, while also being maybe more liberal on some other issues, was seen as a good political move. Today, it is not. I think if she was a prosecutor in California today, with who thought that she would have a um, political career, in the era after, you know, uh, a lot of um, hands up and a lot of sort of sort of black um, sort of freedom movements, I, I think she she will probably be much more tame. So there there is that potential there. But I I, I tend to agree with Simon that polling doesn't seem to show that Dem- Democrats favor you know um, more combative and confrontational tactics in an in an election cycle. And it might be the more subtle targeted advertising that, that really is able to demonstrate who is the best or who's the best campaigner. Yeah. Uh, Simon, if we take Bernie Sanders as perhaps the most well-known candidate of, uh, of the current um, crop, considering his uh, great run in 2016, how do you think Kamala Harris can get her name out there? And how do you think she can make waves in a way that moves her from a candidate with a lot of positives to a candidate who will actually win the votes and actually run for president against Trump? That's a great question. Um, and I'm not sure I'm not sure I have the answer. I think that her popularity, because I think one of the things that candidates are really going to struggle with is uh, creating field operations. And... Um, uh, so, 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 uh, grassroots presence in uh, states that might cost more money to have a, a staff presence, and so I think her popularity will allow her to allow her to get people working for her for free, and I think that's the that's the. That's a very that's almost a, an unsung part of this whole process, you know. Uh, Bernie in two thousand sixteen created or supposedly created this idea of distributed organising, uh, which is where he can have a team in Vermont uh, supporting volunteers running the election in places like Montana and uh, Wyoming and places where they're not going to create, not going to hire staff. They're not going to send staff in, but there is still um, a support base to activate there and a chance to win those votes. And I think Kamala Harris stands in a good position 
with her, with her, with her potential popularity and her potential enthusiasm that she's able to create around her campaign for her to 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 really um do well in the sort of field organizing the volunteering the the door knocking the phone calls um yeah and toby your thoughts on that oh uh, what was the question again uh <laughs> that was to do with how she basically breaks away from being a, a candidate of kind of good policies and that people like but actually turning that into uh, someone of substance who actually wins votes and will actually become the candidate for 2020? I think in many ways. Uh, you can see that in the popularity of Beto right now, the amount of contributions he's managed to get. I'm not sure if it's, um, if it's single contributions or single donors. I'm not sure if his number being a little bit higher than Bernie is completely right, but he he has a lot of popularity. And like even in England, among like um, political consultants, like I you know, I talk to people who seem to feel like he is the one, you know. And but I feel like if Beto doesn't pan out, all of those people are going to go to Kamala Harris. You know, all of those people are yeah are as interested in, in Kamala Harris as they would be in Beto. And you know, and she and she also has a better record politically and um policy wise than than Beto does for the moment. So yeah. Uh, I think it'd be very easy for her to take um not just in, you know what Simon said in terms of the infrastructure, but also at, at the establishment level. It'd be very easy for her to absorb um, communications people and strategists, and, and from um, especially in the centre, yeah. Um, before we look ahead to any possible head-to-head against Trump, I'd just like to ask the question I asked pre- previously with Elizabeth Warren: Where, what matchup do you think would work best for Kamala Harris, Toby, um, and which matchup do you think would work the worst for her as far as the Democratic nomination is concerned? Hmm. For Kamala Harris, I actually think in the Democratic primary, she is better off against someone like O'Rourke some, uh, and someone who is sort of more centristy because, especially if it's a white dude, like she speaks much more to the to the demographic changes that are happening in in the um the democratic party i think you know she becomes the progressive candidate in that instance and you know to yeah it will, it will be very much a begrudging um change for a lot of people say on the far left to support her but i think for people who are just you know who understand that uh, the Democrats maybe need to turn a little bit left on on some of pol- some policies. They will they be, and who understand the demographic changes in the Democratic Party right now. They they will definitely veer towards Kamala in that kind of scenario. I think she will have uh, also a, a decent chance of beating Warren in a head to head. I think her the most difficult 
um, scenario would be against someone like Sanders, who 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 has because I what I really want to see, and as uh, Simon has talked about, like she will win California. Um, she but what will happen in other metropolitan areas? Are they going to go? Is it is it going to be young people again going for Sanders? Um, some young people went for Sanders, but maybe, you know, don't like hew towards like socialism. They Maybe they just wanted to, um, someone who was not Hillary Clinton or someone who was new. And I think in many ways she can, um, she can be that beacon for people. And, and but against Sanders and against, an, a, a, and in a completely ideological primary, there is the chance that, she might lose to Sanders, yeah. And Simon, your thoughts? So, I actually entirely disagree with you, Toby. I think, mm. <laughs> I think, I think her best matchup would be Sanders because I think Sanders talks about Bernie talks about um, the problems facing minority communities. He addresses Trump's racism. He um, he addresses the reasons behind the the minority strife in the minority communities but he doesn't he and he did this in 2016 and this might be something that he does in 2020 or changes into 2020 but he doesn't necessarily um address the minorities themselves mm-hmm. he addresses the problems behind them but and he often comes off it as a uh, comes from it from a class um based angle which i think when Kamala Harris is talking about reparations and uh, she's talking about dreamers, I think there's, I think she, she can access and have these conversations far easier than Bernie can. And, you know, uh, the Latino vote in, in, in the 2020 election is not monolithic, but the Latino vote is the largest minority demographic in, in the 2020 primary. So that that ability to to engage with those supporters on these issues, I think, would make makes her a very dangerous candidate for Bernie. But then again, I think twenty twenty, when it comes to minority voting, will be a uh, will break will break uh, the mold in some respects. I think that we may be looking at you know. What has previously happened in the past is is many people consider minority votes to be monolithic. And I certainly think in the African-American community, that's not going to be the case. I think some of Bernie's ideas are very, very popular to Uh, African-Americans. And his ability to engage on these topics, whilst he doesn't engage them directly, he has some, he does have some history about engaging them appropriately. Uh, the Black Lives Matter protesters in 2016 at his rally where they got up on stage and were and were chanting and he gave them the lectern. He gave them the chance to speak. And I think that's a very powerful image. But I think Kamala Harris would do it better. Uh, and so I actually think that he would have... A, and, and I think she presents herself as a very clean, put together... Uh, presents herself as clean, forgive me. Uh, clean image. <laughs> Very well presented. Um, really, I think she looks presidential even at this point. 
Mm-hmm. And I know Sanders' popularity to many people is the old man shouting at people to get off his lawn, but I don't think that works with as many people as you might think. Mm-hmm. I think, and so I think he will face a very hard time with Kamala Harris. Um, uh, her her worst. Um, I'm not sure. Um, maybe she can't be beaten. Maybe maybe she'll just beat everybody, and there's no hard matchups for her. <laughs> I, think it, I think it might be Biden um, because I think I think Toby said something really, really right on the money when he said that I think Kamala Harris might struggle in in the Rust Belt in in the Midwest in places that a candidate is going to need to win, and I think Uncle Joe is going to just thrive in these places and. I think there is a there is a polished element to him, and there is a there will be an element of when they're on the stage together, despite you know the differences in their their, their background. People will automatically like. They might object to some of the things he said, some of the things that he is being an old white man, but they are going to like him because he is just so. You know, he is able to establish that connection with individuals. And I think that he pet he he poses the biggest threat to just about everyone. Um that I think. So Simon, um, that kinda of leads us on to looking ahead to if Kamala Harris does win. I, I would wanna Sorry. I would wanna add that I think with Bernie and Kamala Harris, when it gets to issues um to do with African Americans, I think there is a potential I mean you, when it comes to crime, and if he does go this way, for Kamala to lose African American men, if he say runs, you know, that he has a sort of much more, I would say, um, pro civil rights um, angle than than she does, and and maybe that might be borne out by either his voting record or their their histories as well. I think, but I think. At the top, she is definitely going to beat Bernie when it comes to minority voters. But he might be able to cleave away some minority voters, even within the issues and and reparations as well. Bernie is obviously he has a stance of reparations that I think comes from people like um, like Adolf Reed, who say that actually you should take a class analysis instead of a um, sort of race analysis, and reparations might actually be bad for you know, creating a, a holistic um, a base for, for white and, and black people to get together. But I, I, I think that I, I wonder what she's really going to say about reparations. Is, is she going to get into the weeds of reparations and, and actually have a policy on reparations? Or is she going to say she is for reparations in a vague way? If she does, then probably that will be very good for her. And bad for Bernie, but yeah, I, I wonder what will happen in a in a race between them, and and I do think that in a race between them, Bernie will still be able to energize his base against her. Mm. So we're sorry. I was going to say we're kind of coming up to the hour mark now. Um, probably need to move on to our last candidate, Cory Booker. But just quickly, um, Simon, I'll, I'll ask you first. What do you think a 2020 election campaign against Trump would look like? And how how do you think Kamala would actually come over her issues of trying to... How electable is she as far as moving beyond, you know, 
liberal shacks in California, New York? Where does she have enough to get beyond that? So I think that I think that she will be able to to mobilize um, uh, mobilize places like Florida um, and um, you know the, the vital places that. Um, that Clinton lost, and and I think she'll be able to make up the ground that Clinton wasn't able to to develop this sort of excitement in minority communities that Obama did, and that that vote was severely depressed in 2016, and so I think that's the big difference for her. Um, I, it, it's very early on to say. I mean, we haven't seen them go to. Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and and you know all these places that are vital in will be vital um, in the general election. We just which it's very difficult to say at this point how she will do in those places. But I think for for very early on, I think she will be able to generate significant excitement and command command that platform for those communities. Uh, when it comes to a general election in a way that Hillary Clinton just wasn't. And Toby, just very quickly, the same question to you. Yeah, I very much agree. I think the minority vote was very much depressed in the, uh, that election. And it, it, it seemed, you know, there was run, running things and running reports throughout 2016, 2017, that um, Trump was doing, like he was going to only get 1% of the black vote. And then he ended up getting, you know, close to the percentage of the black vote that Republicans have been getting since 1968. So, but I think in terms of mobilizing black voters, she is in, in a much better position than, than Clinton Clinton was. I think it will, it will come again to Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania to see if she can turn those around in a way that, that um, Clinton, because I mean, it really came down to like, what, like 150,000 votes across a bunch of different states. And I, I don't think she's the perfect candidate for, for doing that. And I think Biden would be fantastic. And Biden also is, a, I mean, he's a white dude, you know. But, <laughs> <laughs> that does certainly carry some uh, cachet even these days, absolutely. <laughs> even on this podcast even on this podcast yes well <laughs> typically the name simon seems to carry cachet on this podcast these days <laughs> well, <we're fronted>, simon. <laughs> we have uh, so that kind of moves us on to the last candidate that we're going to discuss today and that is cory booker who's senator from new jersey previously mayor of newark uh he's the one who i've looked into the most as part of uh, researching this podcast um in- interesting interesting guy he's vegan i mean I don't, I don't know that does seem to be the the thing these days my uh fiance is pretty much vegan herself I, I don't know whether i mean she's swedish and she lives in scotland so she's probably not gonna have too much of a say in the american election but if uh if people like her are going to be voting the vegan block then maybe cory brooker has a chance um <laughs> cory strikes me and i'll just kind of give my my kind of quick two pence on this before i actually ask the people who know about these things uh, he strikes me as a candidate who will be well liked but not well loved and mm-hmm. as someone who probably would do better in a national election against Trump than will in a uh, race for a candidacy um, amongst uh, 
fellow Democrats. That's just kind of my thoughts that he may, may struggle to get some traction in actually winning the nomination. Uh, Toby, what are your thoughts overall on Cory Booker? And um, has that changed since you've done more research on him? I think Corey is going to be very much liked by um, young people. He's going to be liked by African-Americans. His, he's, he's, he's like Beto O'Rourke in the way that he talks in sort of, he talks in, in an almost Obama style. He was heralded early on as the potentially going to be the first black president. And, but he does seem to be a politician almost from a different era in many ways, it is, you know, like common, you know, we're going to, our common purpose, you know, this idea that, yeah, he, yeah, he, he seems to be, he seems to be pre-Obama. He's almost a, a proto-Obama in many ways, but, and, and, but maybe lack, lacking the same gravitas. Like you say, like he's going to be liked even by some people who would vote for Bernie. He's going to be liked, but is he going to be loved? Does he inflame the different sides of the spectrum, and that like, I think um, Elizabeth Warren's in a good position to potentially get both the left and and the the center on her side by merging Wonka Tree and sort of like social democratic policies. But I think he, in in terms of the 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 PR battle, he might get lost because he doesn't really have um, sort of people that that really love him and in terms of running against maybe warren or bernie in a in a sort of in a head-to-head he's going to get flagged for votes on say um you know votes say on education he's going to get flagged on comments he's made previously about being capital he's going to get flagged for you know the support of Amazon and other corporations in the Newark area. Obviously, like there are local issues and local realities. That, that as a you know mayor of a of a struggling state that he had to go through. But hmm, yeah, I think Cory Booker too vague and also maybe not that great of a politician. And Simon, your overall thoughts on Cory Booker? I think he's a very very interesting candidate and. My sense of him is he's a he's a very quite clearly a very driven individual, and I think he does have this propensity for virality, which is going to have significant capital in this election. Uh, you know, um, I think he's able to create that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I struggle to get a I struggle to get an opinion of him. Mm. Um, does that say quite a lot do you think the, the fact that other candidates you can get either a yes or a no from fairly quickly but Cory Booker is perhaps a bit yeah okay maybe it, it, does that in itself yeah. sum him up a little bit too much yeah uh, perhaps but I think <laughs> you know I haven't looked at Cory Booker as closely as I have the others and I think I should I should make that clear before um, before uh, that that uh, I voice that opinion. But uh, yeah, I don't know. His he's got one very very good idea, which is this whole baby bonds thing. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is 
the answer to Kamala, Kamala Harris's reparations. Um, I wasn't actually aware that that was actually something that had been proposed by the British government uh, under the Labour Party until that was uh, removed under Tory governance. I wasn't actually aware that that was something that had been proposed. Um, oh, really? Yeah, apparently so. Um, unless the article I was reading just completely making things up or I was just <laughs> drunk during the day again, either of which is possible. Um but yeah, that was quite a novel idea when I read that, and I thought, oh, well, that is definitely something that you could see getting traction, while at the same time, you can just imagine what Fox News would make of those sorts of things. Um, yeah. You know, we're paying black babies to be alive. I imagine that's probably some sort of headline along along that line. Um, sorry, Simon, um, you were you were saying. Yeah, so I, I just think there's... I'm not a, I'm not in a position to yay or nay him at the moment. Uh, he does have this virality, presents his his relationship with Rosario Dawson. You know, you know who was a surrogate for Bernie in 2016. Oh, uh, <laughs> that that does seem to have increased his spotlight. You know, he's on TMZ now in a way he wasn't before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think there is great great potential in his ability to remain in this race for a while. I think he has this complex relationship with Silicon Valley that will is going to uh, it'll be interesting to see what Silicon Valley becomes in this primary election because in many ways it, it gives the Democrats lots of money. Um, it is in, in this era of mass political participation, almost vital uh, to get your message out, to get money, to interact with supporters. Um, but it will, it, there are senses that it's going to become the big tobacco um, of political donations. Um, and I just, I don't know how that's going to shake out. And he does have this relationship with Silicon Valley, and I don't know how that's going to impact candidacies. I mean, Elizabeth Warren's already got some donations from Google. Um, yeah, I don't know how it's going to shake out with Booker, to be honest. Um, I should have done more homework on it. I think that's the problem on that one. Toby, um, when I was kind of looking at Booker myself, one thing that stood out was that he had a very liberal voting record and you know so social justice reform, and you know he was kind of full steam ahead in that, and yet he was. There seem to be two things that potentially tied him in a, in, up in knots, which perhaps you could see the Democratic Party attacking him on. One of which was his, his attachment to Wall Street and Big Pharmacy, and I believe he already has a super PAC um, kind of uh, with him. And then the other one is, which was a surprise to me, was his uh, record when it came to um, schools and education and education reform and how... He was actually had ties to um, the current uh, DeVos, is it the the, the person who became Patrick DeVos? Yeah. yeah, and ties to that. Where do you think Booker stands as far as policies are concerned, and how do you think that will help or hinder hindrance him as far as this uh, Democratic nomination goes? Well, I think with Booker, like for for people in the center. Um, Biden is very good because he has the sort of he has the charisma, he has the attachment to Obama, and he has the sort of the, he brings with him the potential of winning dem demographics that de the Democrats aren't trying to appeal, or haven't been trying to appeal to. The the problem that Booker has is that he's a 
pre-Obama politician without that. And I think, like you say, I think in, in terms of education, like in terms of charter schools, this was a big issue with uh, people in the center-right, you know, like um, think tanks and publications like National Review, they, they, they wrote and talked about the benefits of this policy forever. And Cory Booker in Newark tried to triangulate that and was very much a big... Um, big advocate for that. And then he has a complex relationship with Silicon Valley. And, you know, he has a complex re relationship with um, sort of other industries in general. It's when he doesn't have, he doesn't bring with him the demographic power and he, you know, doesn't see, he hasn't seemed to be a particularly uh, sort of, nifty politician and it, it is going to be difficult like like uh, Simon says this has not been um this has not been a politician I focused so much on but it is a politician that I can see like as you have brought up is in many ways he's in a sort of pre-paradigm politician and I wonder if that kind of thing is going to be effective in the democratic primary yeah, absolutely. I think with with Booker, I mean, he he worked with Harris, for instance, to try and make lynching a hate crime. I do think he has strong liberal um, connections and thinks he can. Yeah, but he's focused on like he's focused on crime, and he's focused on immigration. Those are those areas. Like, I think everybody agrees with him on those areas. Um. Bernie Sanders will sort of reach into the same um, ideas when it comes to more social issues. And, it, and you know, like, um, but and even, I, I would say even Cory Booker's relationship with uh, Donald Trump, you know, he's talked about not attacking Trump. He's talked about bringing people together. I don't know if that is going to, um, fly in the Democratic Party or Democratic Party because if you, even if you look at Elizabeth Warren, she's been almost like a street fighter against Trump. She's she's very much she's harnessed this 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 resistance that that has uh, taken hold in in with women, even with women who might not agree with her you know her policies. She seems to in many ways encapsulate that and. Um, People like Bernie Sanders as well. They say, "Oh, the, you know, um, Trump is an existential threat. He's the worst." All of them are, are saying this, and 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 Booker manages to be, you know, like it's like um, George W. George H. W. Bush had that thing about the thousand points of light, you know, like uh, happy, good politics, and um, other politicians have had, you know, the politics of joy. This is not the era for that, you know. I mean, it's going to be. It's going to be quite interesting to see if he can push forward. I mean, obviously, I, I might be wrong, you know, but yeah, I think he's a pre-paradigm politician in many ways. I, I would, I would agree with you. I mean, it is interesting when you look at some of the, the things Booker has for him. I mean, he is, he has got acts of. I mean, he shoveled snow on an elderly man's driveway. He's literally rescued a woman from a burning house i mean it, on, on paper he does have a lot of things which are kind of the kind of news stories you could kind of circulate and get general positivity 
Yeah, there's a lot of nice news stories. He he went to you know several prestigious universities, like you know those kind of Obama type politicians would do. I think Beta O'Rourke is is very similar in many ways, but yeah, and and but he has taken PAC money as well. I mean, Beto hasn't, well, at least he hasn't revealed to be to have taken PAC money. I mean, when you have a candidate. In a, in a primary, he will be able to obviously generate funding, especially because other people, it almost seems like they've decided to, um, you know, almost like have a unilateral uh, sort of ceasefire in terms of PAC money. And he's the one who's taking PAC money. So he might be dangerous in, in, in that respect. And, and he will be around for a while, even if he's not tracking with the, with the voters. But I feel because not he has people who like him, many groups like him, but no one, you know, sort of loves him that much. And he is, in many ways, the kind of politician who, who against the Bernie Sanders, against Elizabeth Warren, would be in a perfect place to say, oh, this is this is the old politics, you know, this is the politics that we have framed ourselves against, especially Bernie in two thousand and sixteen. Yeah. And even against, if he, if he ran against Kamala Harris, or and Joe Biden, I think, I I think they are more crafty politicians. But I mean, I don't know. We we we're talking about him as a sort of like a flannel wearing nice guy. He might be. He might bear his teeth in the in the primaries. Who knows? Yeah, um, Simon. When we, we when we discussed Elizabeth Warren earlier, you mentioned your potential well the potential for elizabeth warren to fall down on the fact that she's going to struggle to raise money and that she may have liberal ideas but she's doing it from you know she's in a library and she's kind of not really speaking to anybody because she's not paid anyone to turn on her microphone if cory brooker is able to generate the kind of money through packs or whether it's through you know grassroots or you know whatever it may be do you think he would line up against someone like Warren better as a result? Because while he does have a he does have issues around, you know, pharmaceuticals and Wall Street, he is perhaps liberal enough and then he combines that with um, maybe a more common sense approach to funding. Yeah, I think there may be a but then there is always the element that he says one thing and does another and that, you know, he is uh, painting himself as a, as a uh, seeking to paint himself as a progressive individual, yet takes money from um, from Wall Street and has that element to his campaign. I think that I think authenticity is going to play a really powerful role in this election, mm. and I worry that he Elizabeth Warren is very, very, very authentic. You know, she is. I think she's an excellent candidate, despite what I said earlier. I think she's fantastic and a really good thing for American democracy. Um, but I worry, I, I suspect that Booker will fall down at the authenticity barrier. And that's where I think... Yeah, I very much agree. I think, like, politics today, like, vaudeville works, you know, reality TV works, like Trump, the people who are looking at get into the gutter and speak gutturally to people's um, views and things. And then, and then authenticity works. Like Bernie Sanders, that, that's an authentic dude. He's been saying all of his nonsense for, <laughs> for 30 years. And Elizabeth Warren, you know, 
She is very much authentic. You know, she's she's a, a consumer protection lawyer. She's she's a professor. She is what she she is. She's not she's not. There's no sort of um, media stage or, or media trained element to her. But apart apart from the Pocahontas her. issue, which immediately smacks to yeah, she yeah, may be, she, may, she, she may be authentic in everything she does, but but even the Pocahontas issue. I mean, yes, it, it is inauthentically Native American, but it's authentically nerdy for her to <laughs> <laughs> like, like, go through it and challenge him on that. Yeah, she is a little bit Native American. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are kind of running out of time now, so I will kind of skip ahead to uh, my favourite question of the day, apparently. Uh, Simon, where do you think Cory Booker, uh, Booker or someone like Cory Booker, where does he stand up against the best as far as other candidates and where does he fall down? Who 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 does he want to be one-on-one with as the last remaining candidate and who does he not want to be up against? I think his best candidate... Uh, I think his worst candidate is Bernie. Um, and I think his best candidate would be Joe Biden, to be honest, which is a funny one. But but I think that he would be able to to play the easygoing, smooth guy who gets on with people. Um, and he, he bridges old and new politics, perhaps, in a way that Joe Biden just bridges old politics with present politics. And I think that he would be able to... Um, to talk about the future in realistic ways, he wouldn't suffer from image problems from being, you know, you know, he wouldn't be 80 in the White House. Um, um, and I think that he would do quite well against Biden. And Toby? Yeah, if, you know, like Biden has this relationship with Obama, he loves it. But if he runs against Cory Booker, he's not going to love Obama because, you know, <laughs> Obama's going to beat him. <laughs> and yeah, and I think, yeah. Um, although I'm, I mean, I'm hmm, beyond the human, I would say that Biden would be able to sort of rouse some people uh, in the in the primary who are more sort of looking for sort of working class and more authentic politician than Booker is. But I think against Biden, yeah, he 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 is he looks quite strong, and he wouldn't have. I mean, Biden's past um, is going to crop up even if you're not running neg- negative ads and Booker is in a position to not suffer from that and l- like uh, Simon says like against someone coming from the left he, um, Booker is going to struggle but I also think against Harris he'll struggle you know? yeah um, Toby if we look ahead and Booker defies the odds, becomes the 2020 nomination uh, nominee for the Democratic Party, and he runs against Trump. How does how does that election look? Does does Booker is he able to take a more left leaning policy look and be able to take the left with him, or does he probably have to play more central to I don't know diffuse some of the centrists who went with Trump? What what are your thoughts on how that would look? I think Cory Booker, when it comes, because there is this, there is this uh, educated sort of upper middle class voter who might vote for the Republicans, um, but in a, in a if 
in an election against someone like Cory Booker, who stands in many ways for a lot of the best things about America, the hope and the, you know, in many ways like Obama would, I, I think he'd be in a very good position to, to take some, like like it was in the primary, to take some sort of um, slightly right um, Republicans. And he would also be in a good position to unify elements of the party because it's against Trump. I, I, I think, though, that Biden would be in a much better position when it comes to states that Trump uh, beat Clinton in. Yeah. And Simon, your, your thoughts on how a potential Trump versus Booker showdown would uh, play out? Well, it wouldn't. He wouldn't have. He wouldn't have the the whole authenticity question hanging around his head when matching up against Trump. Um, I think. I actually think he'd do very well. I think he might. He might play him his own game a bit, and and probably. I think he would add elements of humour to. He, he, you know, he might. To sort of break Trump's approach down whilst being able to have responsive policy ideas. Because we all know that when Trump runs in 2020, will they'll, I can imagine they'll look for another build the wall um, mm -hmm. type idea. And I just, I mean, maybe he doesn't get the wall built and it's build the wall again, or, you know, um, but I think. Do you think Booker can look ahead? Can you sorry? Do you think Booker can look back at what, um, how successful Obama was and basically try and run this as, you know, I'm the second coming of Obama. Obama was hugely popular, not just amongst the left, but he was able to win in the center. I, I don't I don't think that would be a very good idea because Hillary Clinton in 2016 ran on Obama's coattails and that one of the one of the many reasons that that was so difficult it was there was no agent for change mm. i think and 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 running on obama again is a is is you know reheating a dish that's that may have gone bad and we need we may need to let obama go into the history book we may need to let obama fade in into the history books as a president and and revisit him as we have done george w, george bush uh, and um and Jimmy Carter, um, instead of sort of dragging him up for candidates like Booker, I think he probably will have to forge his own path. He will have to divide the way to become attractive to the people who will not want to vote for Trump anymore, because that I suspect there'll be an issue of, for a lot of Trump voters, there will be a degree of embarrassment. Now, the, the ones who are very proud to have voted Trump make a lot of noise, but I think there are portions of society, and I, I this is purely theoretical. I have no uh, no numbers to back this up at all. Um, so take what I'm about to say as you will. But I fear, I, I wonder if there are Trump supporters who voted for Trump because this guy was talking about an, a version of America that worked for them. He fucking lied about it all, and not it to come true. And but he doesn't want to be told that he's stupid, and he doesn't want to be told that he's put the country back. Be told that you know none of those things are going to bring him to the ballot box to vote for someone else. But so I wonder if there is this 
there is sort of reaching over the table that will take place after the primary is run um, to isolated uh, Trump voters or non-voters in 2016 that Cory Booker might be quite good at doing, actually. So that's, that's where I think that, that, that will happen. Well, I mean, it's been a fascinating, however long it's been, over an hour, over three hours, I'm not quite actually sure at this point. <laughs> Before we wrap this up, I just kind of get one sort of general point from you both. Um, who do you think at the moment is in the lead? I mean, we're still so early on, it's kind of ridiculous to talk about who's in the lead, but who do you think Who do you think is kind of that candidate at the moment who you'd nest, if you had to make a list, you'd put a number one? And who... At the moment, based on policy, based on personality, whatever it is, who would you be voting for? Toby, I'll ask you first. I think in the lead right now is Joe Biden. But I think part of Joe Biden's um, popularity is is a little soft so far. I think Biden will have to um, sort of defend himself against some of the advertising and, and PR stuff that's going to come out. And I would say, I would say, I think actually the the real leader, as uh, Warren mentioned in in a press conference, really, really is is Bernie Sanders right now. I would say that Kamala Harris star is going to rise. I, I definitely have been convinced. Um, just re- reading up on her uh, cursorily and and in in this podcast of 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 her strength. So she's she's definitely going to be there. People that I'm unsure about are people like Beto O'Rourke. I mean, this this Beto thing that is really alive amongst the political class and political operatives. Is it going to catch fire, or is he, or does he suffer from some of the issues that Cory Booker has with his voting record and with the vagueness of his candidacy? And I would say that Elizabeth Warren is going to be around for a while, but like in the Amber A. Lee piece, she she will suffer from the fact that she isn't as almost like a devotational um, uh, hero figure that like Bernie Sanders is. Yeah, so I think Bernie, Kamala Harris are the two frontliners. Biden is somewhere there as well. And then you have a sort of second tier that with uh, Warren in there. Yeah. And just as a one word answer, who would you vote for right now? Oh, I'd vote for Elizabeth Warren. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's also because you're Native American as well, Toby. So you're kind of. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Simon, uh, s- same question to you. Uh, who do you think's in the lead right now and who would get your vote right now? Yeah, so I think I think Bernie's in the lead at the moment. Um, I think that it, it's name recognition, it's money, and it's um, it's an authenticity of his platform. You know, I can imagine people as the Democratic Party has swung left. Uh, it kind of feels like people have the, uh, the candidates now are going in that direction because that's what the way the party is going and that's what people want where bernie has been there since the 80s um 
and I think it's I think you can't deny the fact that the the, the shift in polarity in the Democratic Party is because of him. Um, but I, I think it's it, it will be interesting to see how he handles that mantle, and and whether he whether he whether how stubborn he is in shifting on it. I, I think that that will be interesting to see. Um, I think Joe Biden is a lot of Joe Biden's popularity at the moment rests on anticipation. Um, when he starts actually get when he actually announces, if he actually announces, mm. you know who knows he's. <laughs> Um, he's a bit like Schrodinger, Schrodinger's politician at the moment, I suppose. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, I, I just, I don't really know why he hasn't announced, because um, he's acting like he has. Yep. And who would, uh, get, and who would get your vote? Um, uh, uh, Warren, and we haven't spoken about her at all, but I really like Amy Klobuchar. Which <laughs> um, is uh, a bit of a um, okay, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I think Klobuchar suffers from the fact that, like Warren, she's a woman. There's the stories about her being quite a tough boss, but it, there were similar stories about Bernie Sanders um, previously, and, and those stories haven't really caught on because Sanders is a guy, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, when I when I first met Bernie, he he um, you know he punched me in the shoulder. <laughs> um, um, and I, you know, I'm not sort of. You and know, you still it, love him, you know? Yeah, I, I still, I still <laughs> do still love him. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, obviously, there are no equals um, here, but uh, to supposedly these allegations that Klobuchar throws things at members of staff, but I think, I think she, she's a, she's a down to earth, gritty. Um, real real gritty strong woman and i think that i think she'd tear trump apart hmm interesting well thank you both so much for joining i've really enjoyed today's episode it's been really fascinating uh toby thank you as always uh thank, thank you simon and simon thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it yeah thanks for thanks for this this was great um from toby simon and myself the other simon uh, thank you very much for listening and we hope to have a, another Impressions of America uh, politics podcast for you in the near future. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.